Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Frolic, and I invite you to cozy up with me each week as I explore all aspects of the spiritual journey, spiritual biohacking, and expanding the mind beyond this reality. Remember that the collective awakening can start by planting one seed. So thanks for being such an amazing audience and sharing these shows with your family and friends. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode and find out what we're discovering today. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me back again on the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm happy to have you here this week. I have a new guest joining the show today, Douglas Dietrich. We're going to be getting into some sensitive material about uh, child sex trafficking and um, a lot of other stuff. Uh, If you've taken note of the new documentary that was released uh, about a week or two ago, Out of Shadows, We are going to use that film as a bit of a jumping off point to start the conversation. Uh, But just to remind you, this will be some sensitive material. So uh, if you have any young ones around that are listening, you may want to have headphones in. But without further ado, please welcome Douglas to the show. Douglas, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing great and as well as can be considering the subject at hand. It's always painful to recollect, but I'm happy to do so to educate the public. Oh, I'm so glad that you're back here. And, um, you know, you were introduced to me through Peter Moon, who was on our show about a month or so ago, and he spoke very highly of you. And of course, in his episode towards the end, he mentioned you um, being responsible for uncovering one of the biggest uh human trafficking rings and child sex trafficking rings too, which was at the Presidio, a military base, correct? That's correct. I was responsible for the closure of the second most important military base in uh, the American empire after the Pentagon itself. And when did that happen? What year was that? This was in uh, 1980s. Uh, And it's not a single year because this is a scandal that uh, covered many years, but the base ultimately closed down in 1991, 1995. And uh, even though, again, it has to be graded, uh, there was a shutdown procedure that took half a decade. It was that large an operation. So elements of it were shut down first and then other elements until finally the entire base was closed. And unfortunately, a lot of this covered up a lot of evidence. And that's uh, one of the things that we'll be talking about, the various ways in which evidence of uh, this phenomenon are uh, covered up and uh, whether they want to or not, various elements of our society uh, become part of that cover up. Mm. And it's, you know, right now we're at a time where there's a lot being uncovered and I'm from my personal standpoint, I know everyone has their own kind of thing of what needs to be uncovered. But to me, like the satanic rituals and child sex trafficking is the root of all of the corruption on our planet. Where do you stand with all of that? Oh, I agree. And uh, the biggest problem is that people intuitively understand this. They know what you know. Uh, but unfortunately, the powers that be, uh, to put it in as blunt a a reference as possible, the uh, uh, pedo the uh, pedo meaning uh, child, uh, patho, the pathology, the phylocracy, the uh, patriarchy. And I know that's going to trigger a lot of people automatically, but we do live in a male-dominated society. And in America in particular, 
It's what I call a prison rape anti-culture. That's the norm. You have a, a lot of violence uh, committed by um, men and you have a lot of uh, this male dominance that uh, results in this kind of uh, pervasive uh, phenomenon. And um, a lot of men just uh, kind of uh, rally around the cover-up without even knowing it, without even being conscious of it, because they're indoctrinated. They kind of reflexively do this through the indoctrination they've received since childhood to just deny, deny uh, this kind of phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the biggest problem, however, is that people who know this, they're being misled because the very uh, parties that are responsible for this are the very parties that uh, dominate so much of our sources of information. And so I'll go into a bit yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the problem. Well, I mean, that's a huge part of the problem is that this is pervasive in every industry virtually. It, it's, it feels like um, predominantly the ones that have a lot of influence over people's minds. And it's, it, you know, we're going to get into blackmail and how that's used to control people, to control like, what they're talking about, what what they reveal, what they don't reveal, and how the narrative is controlled in people's minds. We're going to probably get more into the military aspect of it all. Take us to um, the Presidio. Like, how did you start there? Like, what? how old were you and how did you get a job there? When I was in the Presidio military base, I started off literally at the age of 16. And uh, as quickly as possible, I got a job there. Uh, by a incredible set of circumstances that were later on put into context for me. The circumstances were not as incredible as people might assume in the sense of that I was so young and then wound up working at a military base. Far from it. What most people are unaware of is that the United States military is, and it very much should not be, but it's a family environment. And I say that in the most negative sense of the word. So as a family environment, the uh, United States military has military wives. These military wives have children. Um, most civilians are entirely unfamiliar with how this works. They get the impression that these uh, military wives stay at home in some kind of civilian setting, like they live the way that a normal civilian would live in some home in, uh, in, in some suburb or a place like that, and their husband goes off to war. Uh, that's not how it works. These women are brought into military bases. They live on the base. Their children grow up on the base. Their children are educated on the base. They all go to hospitals on the base whenever the husbands beat their wives half to death, and uh, which is just the norm. And then the kids get beaten half to death. They're all taken care of on military hospitals. So nobody in the civilian world knows about any of this. So uh, part of that, that, that cultic uh, environment is what is so conducive to the abuse that was so pervasive at the time that I was working at the base. Now, my situation was different. My father had been in the military, but my father was a career military man. And because he had been in the military for well over 30 years, and uh, when he retired, even though he was no longer active duty, I was born when he was active duty. So this along with uh, his um, basically heroic status, gave myself and my entire family access to the military base until I and my sibling turned 18. His wife 
being what's called a military spouse of a retiree would be allowed on the military base the rest of her life, theoretically, had it not been forced into closure. And uh, because of this, I uh, had the ability to go into the military base and use the library or any other open area of the base. And the base that I'm referring to is the Presidio Military Base in San Francisco. Now, to just say this as briefly as possible so people understand the importance of this base, uh, this was a, we're talking about well over 1,400 acres, close to 1,500 acres, if not equal to that amount of, of, of land, especially when it was open and other areas were under its jurisdiction. This is a quarter, or almost 25% of all of San Francisco. And, and San Francisco is minuscule. The, the amount of land taken by San Francisco in area is like nothing. If you were to stick your thumb up, like give a thumbs up, uh, the, the San Francisco would be your thumbnail. And the rest of your thumb would be the rest of the peninsula on which San Francisco uh, is. And, uh, that, and to have 25% of that land, which is so valuable, the, the most expensive in the world, uh, more expensive to live here than any other place on earth, New York or Tokyo, anywhere. Uh, and uh, to have a quarter of that be military was just astounding. And uh, the man who commanded the military of at Presidio, the Sixth Army headquarters, um, was considered. It was considered a political position. Uh, whoever was commandant of the Presidio would have direct access to all of the city in terms of the government always referencing him and inviting him to every party because his position in San Francisco was so important. And uh, it was where the United Nations was established. This is entirely hidden from history, but anyone who does their research will find out it's true. The United Nations was established in San Francisco on site the Presidio Military Base. This was in World War really? II. It was, yeah, it was just three weeks after Pearl Harbor. And when Pearl Harbor was attacked, the United Nations was established on January 1st, 1942. And was established as the uh, organization for the Allied war effort. It was their united front. And the they had their own battle flag, which you'd have to look up as a United Nations honor flag. And if you look that up, you'd find out that they had a white sheet uh, with four vertical lines in red. These were to represent Roosevelt's four freedoms. And the reason it was so bizarre and so simplistic was because they were directing and orchestrating all of the Allied resistance movements behind Axis-occupied enemy lines so that if any French resistance fighter or any Filipino resistance fighter uh, decided that they had to signal to overhead allied planes uh, that they were active resistance, they could take any white sheet that would normally use, be used for surrender and they could paint within their own, using their own blood if they had to, uh, four red stripes. That way allied planes overhead would recognize that's a member of allied resistance. So the United Nations established that for that purpose. And per Title 42 of the United Nations Charter, in lieu of a constitution they have as an international organization, a charter, per Title 42 or, or Article 42 of the UN Charter, they are an organization of war. And uh, that's because they were established to fight the Axis in World War II. So this is an extremely important factor to remember. United Nations records were kept at the Presidio military base. All United Nations records dealing with war 
all of the war effort for not just World War II in the Pacific, but the Korean War, which was a United Nations war. Any uh, soldier who was on the Allied side, whether American or Samoan or Turkish or any person who fought the communists in the Korean Peninsula during that war, when their bodies are recovered years, decades later, uh, Mm -hmm. they're sent home in coffins draped in United Nations flags, not under the flag of their nation. It was a UN war effort, as was World War II. And so most people are entirely ignorant of these facts. And not only was those wars run from the Presidio, but also the Vietnam War, and also uh, every war in Latin America, where the troops would disembark from the Presidio and head towards the Latin American nations on the Pacific. So this was the most important uh, military base outside the Pentagon because it was also the Western Defense Command Center responsible for the administration of all military affairs and federal land, such as Area 51, uh, that was uh, within the 17 Western states and Hawaii. So the the amount of territory uh, commanded by the Presidio was vast, far far larger than anything commanded by any other military base in the American empire. So that's how important it was. Okay. So it was, okay. So it was a very important base um, and, and, and quite large and had a lot of influence and power. Now in the out of shadows documentary, they mentioned Michael Aquino and, um, you worked, like spoke with Michael Aquino while you were on Presidio, correct? Regularly. As a matter of fact, many people thought I was actually his son. Uh, I was assigned liaison status to him by his request. That was how I found out I really got the job. Uh, What happened was I was attending the uh, John O'Connell Vocational Institute at a young age. During my period in what is normally known as middle school today, uh, they had uh, eliminated during the time I was attending junior high school, they eliminated the concept known as junior high, and they replaced it with the concept of middle school. And this denied my entire generation, anyone my age, an entire grade in school. So I wound up graduating from middle school a year earlier than any child would today in the uh, public educational system. So I was already out of that junior grade earlier, and uh, everyone was going to their high schools, different high schools. I wanted to avoid going to a normal high school. My parents were poor. My family was so impoverished. I wanted to get a job as soon as possible. So I went to a trade school. And the trade school that I went to was John O'Connell Vocational Institute. This is important because my commercial uh, arts that I majored in, uh, the man who was one of my major instructors, one of my primary instructors in commercial illustration was uh, Gary Willard Hambright. He was a Southern Baptist minister without a pulpit. Uh, he, uh, was an ordained Southern Baptist minister, and he was allowed to live in a church in San Francisco because he was essentially homeless. He couldn't afford to pay rent in San Francisco because it's so expensive. And, uh, my family, of course, lived in a ghetto. And because my father had been in the military, uh, for so long, uh, and he was not a commissioned officer, he was a non-commissioned officer. We were at a pay grade where, despite the fact that he had a very high rank, the highest you could attain as a non-commissioned officer, chief petty officer in the the Navy, he was still uh, impoverished, and and the entire family was 
And so I went to public school, had to get a job, but I had to learn a trade first before I could do that. So when I went to John McConnell High School, Gary Willard Hambright stands out because he was also the one of the managers of the child daycare center at the Presidio military base. He kept all of his child pornography, which he couldn't keep at the church because people were actually checking in on it and kind of our, you know, not that anyone suspected him. It was just the church was much more accessible every part of it. People would check the closets and stuff just on a regular basis. So he kept his child pornography, a vast collection of it at the uh, at the John O'Connell Vocational Institute of Technology. And uh, as a result, many other teachers, it was an almost all male staff, would come into the commercial arts studio uh, so they could access that child pornography in the very large closet we had in studio. And uh, so that was how I ultimately got him busted and taken down was by proving that he was maintaining uh, child pornography on site in SFUSD or San Francisco Unified School District district property. So he was ultimately taken down by the San Francisco Police Department, the local constabulary. This is important because none of the government agencies would do anything. Uh, The years of investigation, everyone was basically being uh, covered. Everybody was being covered. And uh, no one would have gotten busted except for what I did. And uh, during that period of time, they went into overdrive with damage control. And that is so important because it altered the way all of us live. And uh, so when it comes to uh, that, I'll get back to that. But uh, while I was at John O'Connell, the secretary there was an Albanian woman named Leanne Prifti. Uh, she spoke the Albanian language, Shkipteri, uh, the language of Illyrian. Uh, and uh, she was a part of Radio Free Europe. And Radio Free Europe was a part of the State Department and they would broadcast American uh, democratic ideals to uh, residents or or citizens behind the Iron Curtain, uh, people who were living under communism. At that time, Albania was under the dictatorship of Enver Hodja, and uh, they were very authoritarian, totalitarian communist regime. And uh, so she said, oh, um, why don't you get a summer job at the library? And uh, she said, I know it's open and available. I said, oh, I, I didn't know uh, they had a position open. And I said, well, I'm only 16 years old. And she says, well, uh, you know, I'll put in a word for you and uh, they'll start you in shelving books. And uh, so she put in the word and I got in. Of course, it all seemed too easy. I never really thought about it. It was helping me earn money uh, pointedly uh, My while I was earning money before then uh, to help my family was by illustrating pornography. Now, uh, you had all this child pornography in the back room, uh, and I specialized in drawing all kinds of pornographic illustrations. And this was before I was of legal age to purchase pornography. So that's a pointed uh, fact to bring up. It was one of the reasons I was able to prove what I did. How, how did you get involved in that? Because it's San Francisco, and San Francisco, one of the major industries in San Francisco, outside of outside of places like Copenhagen or uh, Bangkok, there are very few other epicenters in the world other than Paris that are um, just basically hotbeds of pornographic industry. It's where people go 
for porn. Now, people come from all over the world to go to San Francisco to the adult entertainment centers. That's the way it was classically. Things have radically changed in San Francisco. But uh, ironically enough, one of the things that's toned that down was the fact that San Francisco became a mecca for the gay community. And because it became a mecca for the gay community so openly and publicly, it was in the interest of the gay community to kind of tone down the more uh, dangerous aspects of sexuality that were expressing themselves in San Francisco, such as the child porn industry. And uh, so that was, it was almost impossible not to get involved with it. I was in a ghetto, growing up in a ghetto. I I grew up Mm -hmm. where I was normally exposed to prostitutes and uh, prostitution, including many young gay men who had been rejected by their families who basically came to San Francisco because it was known in the underground that this was the mecca for the gay community and they would prostitute themselves. I grew up around these people. So growing up illustrating it, even before I was of legal age to buy it, made myself a victim of child pornography. And uh, that was how it stood up when I reported uh, Gary Hambright. So the way that this uh, finally came to pass was when I got the job, it was years later, Michael Aquino told me, now remember, people died to get you here. You have to take your position very seriously. It was a few years, literally maybe about a year and a half to two years after I was working shelving books as a 16-year-old. And then I proved myself to be so useful because they basically gave me jobs I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, People who work there as civilians, and people have to understand this, Presidio Military Base was an open base, meaning that they had to keep it open because all of the route to get to the Golden Gate Bridge went through the Presidio. There's reason for this that was inescapable. The Presidio military base was where the Golden Gate Bridge was built out from. If anybody looks at the old documentaries of the Golden Gate Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge was not built from both sides to meet in the middle. Uh, The Golden Gate Bridge was built out from Presidio and extended all the way to the other end to where it uh, connects with the other side of the bay. And it was done to maintain total control quality control to make certain no one sabotaged the building of the bridge. Every screw, every cable was analyzed by specialists on site, the Presidio military base, military specialists, all analyzed by the Department of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And uh, so that was considered a major security artery and when it was built. And so since the only access to it was through the Presidio military base, everyone had to be given access to the base. They just had to wall off or cordon off areas of the base that no civilian could enter. So Mm -hmm. this made for a bizarre situation where everybody went through the Presidio military base who was going on or off the Golden Gate Bridge. And so you had this bizarre situation where it was kind of like an open area and very much not. And so in my case, I had access to it as a military dependent, meaning I could go to the post exchange, the commissary, Letterman Army Medical Center, which was extraordinarily important. It trained a quarter, 25% of all U.S. Army doctors were trained at Letterman Army Medical Center. I would go there as a child for my various sicknesses I contracted because of the filth of the tenderloin. And so um, here you have this environment. And then when I wound up working there on site, 
Aquino brought to my attention, yeah, you know how you got this job through Leanne Prifty. I says, yeah, I know. And, she, and, and Leanne told me herself, she used to work at City Hall. And she would tell me all about the mayor and everything. So I knew everything he said was true. It was exactly what she said. And uh, basically, she was considered like the lap secretary of the mayor of San Francisco, uh, George Moscone. Uh, she, everyone knew she worked at City Hall. Nobody really knew what she did. She was essentially servicing him. And uh, she was essentially uh, serving him coffee when a man named Dan White, a former San Francisco police officer, walked in and murdered him along with George Moscone. Now, George Moscone was a gay man who became known as the mayor of Castro Street, the gay neighborhood of San Francisco, and one of the gay neighborhoods of San Francisco. And uh, George Moscone uh, was a supervisor who had taken the job of Dan White, the former police officer who was also at one point a supervisor in San Francisco. When Dan White came in to kill them both, he pushed Leanne Prifty to the ground. She had actually uh, interposed herself physically between him and those two men. He pushed her to the ground, said, I'm too much of a gentleman to kill a lady, and he blew both their brains out. Now, uh, Moscone, uh, he's got a U.S. ship named after him, uh, a warship in the U.S. Navy, uh, the USS or United States ship uh, Harvey Milk. And uh, not George Moscone, Harvey Milk had a ship named after him. The mayor of San Francisco, of course, uh, was had his own interesting background. We don't need to go into that now. The reason Harvey Milk is important is because he served in the Korean War and he was one of the founders of the U.S. Navy SEALs. He uh, was a man who uh, was a known homosexual, but unknown to most people, he was also a pedophile. And this is beyond dispute. Uh, at this point in history, there's enough evidence that has been brought forth where he was known to go after underage men and take them in uh, because there were so many homeless underage gay men in San Francisco uh, that the, 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 he preyed upon them. And uh, so you have this individual who was a known pedophile or at least a child molester uh, by definition, because a child molester is someone who's like preying on kids who are over nine years of age. A pedophile is like someone who preys on kids under nine years of age. Technically, because that makes a difference. <laughs> like... it, it, it's, it's the way they it's the way they categorize. Wow. It. Apparently, it does. And 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 uh, so you have this individual who's honored by the U.S. Navy SEALs. He's one of the founding fathers thereof. He was back in his day. He was known as a Frogman or a UDT, the Underwater Demolitions Teams. So um, this Dan White never spent a day in jail. He he went home uh, and was never prosecuted. He um, spent the next seven years untouched, and then one day blew his brains out. Michael Aquino uh, said, this was how I got my job. I said, when I asked him the details about it, he says, well, you know, uh, Diane Feinstein became mayoress not by election, but by secession, just because George Moscone was killed and then she became the mayoress. And then uh, she automatically said, well, I have no need for a female lap secretary, despite the fact that everyone said she looked like a lesbian. She uh, was adamant she was not and said uh, that um, I'm getting rid of you. And so she fired Leanne Prifty. And that's how she wound up working at John McConnell. It all made sense. But I said, why? Why so much effort? Well, there were multiple reasons for that. We don't need to get into it now. Perhaps some other day, if it comes up later organically, we can. But Michael Aquino apparently thought that I would be ideal to be his heir apparent. And so okay. he had taken me on as his liaison. And by his heir apparent, he tried to induct myself into the Temple of Set. And uh, this was a church he had established. Uh, he had served in Vietnam when, uh, just before he went to Vietnam, as a matter of fact, he had seen the movie Rosemary's Baby. 
and Rosemary's Baby was about a woman who gives birth to Satan's baby, uh, that she's impregnated by Lucifer. And uh, the movie Rosemary's Baby uh, hired an expert in Satanism as their advisor. And uh, that uh, individual was Anton Zandor LaVey, the founder of the First Church of Satan. And Anton Zandor LaVey uh, headquartered his Church of Satan in San Francisco. And uh, he, the first satanic funeral ever held by the church was a U.S. sailor, uh, a, a follower of Harvey Milk. And so this individual um, who had uh, opened Rosemary's Baby in the sense that he was at the first uh, showing of it uh, in the San Francisco theaters, the, he was there that uh, Michael Aquino met him personally. He went there to see the opening of the film, met Anton Zandro Levey, and instantly joined the Church of Satan. Now, uh, Anton Zandro LeVay, of course, was proud of being uh, a atheistic kind of Satanist, someone who felt that Satan was within us all, uh, that uh, Satan was not an external entity, but something that we could summon from within ourselves, that we are all Satan. And uh, Michael Aquino always asked, why didn't he get tax-exempt status? And um, <laughs> Anton, the Xandor LeVay thought that that was contemptible. He said, I despise the way all these hypocritical Christian churches uh, get tax-exempt status and they're making bank. And he proudly paid his taxes. But uh, Michael Aquino wasn't having any of that. So he established his own satanic church, a theistic satanic church in which Satan was an external entity. And this was the Temple of Set. And uh, so when uh, Michael Aquino established that church where he had full tax-exempt status, one of the ways that he tried to induct myself was to take me to the satanic warrior monks monastery in New Mexico, the monastery of the First Earth Battalion. And uh, this was how he, he impacted us all, was through the First Earth Battalion. When I began to amorage all of the information concerning the satanic activities of ritual abuse on site the Presidio military base, uh, then a lot of uh, damage control went into effect. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that um, it was getting to the point where the satanic crimes of America and the world were becoming exposed. Uh, and uh, one of the people that I had turned to to help myself, to help the public, was a extraordinary woman uh, named Sandy Gallant. And uh, Sandy Gallant's uh, surname was spelled G-A-L-L-A-N-T, her first name Sandy, S-A-N-D-I. And uh, she was an officer who became known as the world's expert in satanic crime. In 1981, there was an unusual homicide in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, and the victim could not be identified because the head was missing. And there was several unusual pieces of evidence, including a chicken's head left in place of the human head. And uh, now she had studied Santeria and Vajahudun, the voodoo rituals of the dark Bokars, who are the evil wizards of voodoo, as opposed to the light workers. And uh, it must be understood that there are light workers in Santeria, that it's not an evil religion, but there are evil practitioners within it who hold to the dark. And she said, uh, she warned 
the SFPD that uh, the body, since it couldn't be identified, was going to be placed on hold in the coroner's office. And she said, uh, whatever you do, you have to put an armed security guard on it within 42 days. Uh, they will try to reunite the head with the body to create a zombie. And everyone laughed at her. She was uh, considered uh, just a hoaxer and a lunatic. And uh, But then what happened was the armed security guard who was put in place within 42 days, uh, someone, rather a gang of people, broke into the coroner's office and he fought them off to the death. He paid for staving them off with his life, but the body was never reunited with the head. Uh, they knew that a massive battle royale had gone on in the coroner's office. Everything was overturned. Blood was everywhere. But whatever group of people that he fought off, he died doing so. But uh, at that point, she became internationally renowned as a specialist in satanic crime. And they began to add occult ritual crime into police manuals. And uh, police manuals are always ring binders so that new laws and new, new rules and, and new types of crime can be added and, and removed more easily. And uh, she was being consulted all over the world. And uh, they were going to establish special task forces. And Michael Aquino, of course, who was still working with myself, it, for the greater part of my amouraging of everything that was going on, he had no idea it was myself who was the traitor, who was betraying him. When he found out, of course, the ire and the rage, everything uh, was incredible. But uh, it was too late for him to do anything at that point. And uh, what he could do was to try and stem the damage while it was ongoing. He began to hold interviews with uh, Oprah Winfrey, with Geraldo Rivera. He couldn't appear in full uniform. He was too scandal-ridden at that time. So the army allowed him to appear in his satanic priest's uh, ritual garb. Yeah, and, and when you when you, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but when you see him like on that Oprah show, yeah. and I think there's a clip of that in the Out of Show Out of Shadows doc documentary um, that everyone's watching right now he's creepy looking like he like he really exudes satan yes yes and and beyond that that's how he appeared in full uniform every day at the presidio anton zandor levey's own cousin was an officer in the u.s army reserves who worked on site the presidio military base uh if uh, any uh place could be said to have uh a home a a geophysical center point for satan if you wanted to give the world an anima it would be not just san francisco but specifically the u.s uh army sixth headquarters six army headquarters at the presidio military base and uh, when it came to Michael Aquino, he would appear every day in full pancake makeup with the widow's peak. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the clipped eyebrows, which were horned. He called it the horned brow. Uh, and uh, this is so important because uh, there's so much of the media that was controlled by Michael Aquino. He had so many uh, co co-religionists and cultists. One of the members of his cult was Stanton Friedman. Uh, Stanton Friedman was responsible, of course, for uh, telling everybody that Roswell was real. It was aliens. Stanton Friedman would appear everywhere in popular culture, pushing the ufology. Uh, and uh, Stanton Friedman had the horned brow. He lived in San Francisco. He was 
was uh, one of these men who later moved to Canada because he was part of the uh, Convair project in which they tried to uh, pretend that they were investigating nuclear flight. Uh, nuclear flight was never, ever perfected. Uh, instead, they took an old Convair bomber and uh, they basically lined it as much as they could with lead towards the pilot's compartment. And uh, then they stuck in a leaky nuclear reactor and they flew it all over the United States to the point where Stanton Friedman bragged that uh, if you have someone who's died of cancer, he was the murderer. He never bragged that publicly, but he bragged it to me. And he bragged it in front of Michael Aquino that, yes, master, so many people I've killed for Satan in long, slow, torturous deaths. And they would laugh and toast. And uh, Stanton Friedman's dead now. But uh, karmically, oh my God. one wow. of his children born was born because of radiation with a developmentally disabled uh, genetic defect. And so he moved her to Canada where the medicine was free, where they had socialized medicine so he wouldn't have to pay for it. And uh, when he worked with the government as a nuclear physicist, uh, he moved to Canada because he said it was cleaner. He did, it wasn't as irradiated as the United States was after his project. You know, I could go into hours with that. Don't need to yeah, go Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, I know that you're like a treasure trove of information. I want to, okay, so I have a question for you just out of um, interest here because it came up, came up to my attention today. And, you know, like it's interesting the way our consciousness is seated and, and things kind of, you know, show up in your reality as more you understand it. So Michael Aquino, um, practicing Satanist, um, wrote the handbook, the chaplain's handbook for all of the military, correct? That's correct. That okay. Means, yeah. We're, we're going to get into that. But, you know, I was listening to a video today and they were talking about, the question came up about Vietnam yeah. and how many, um, many, I guess, soldiers um, swore that they were seeing entities because of the night vision goggles that they were wearing were red, not green, which it's now switched to. Um, and, uh, you know, watching a video, I realized like the, the color, the red um, spectrum uh, is a lower frequency than the green um, and was allowing to, for these entities to be seen by the soldiers. How can you tell the audience Michael Aquino's um, uh, role in what those soldiers were experiencing in Vietnam? Yes. Uh, Michael Aquino was uh, basically called upon because it was known that he was a follower of Satanism and a practitioner. So he was called upon to help the United States Army with a primary problem. They had a psychological warfare program in which they were attempting to uh, psych out the Vietnamese. And they were attempting to psych them out through the deployment of uh, screen and, and uh, supernatural sounds. People can look up the uh, ghost program in Vietnam, the lost voices of the night. And uh, these were supposed to be the Vietnamese belief in lost souls that they were exploiting. And so their desire was to uh, scare the enemy, but it wasn't working. Uh, the Vietnamese could see the helicopters from a mile away and they would just shoot them down. Uh, and so uh, when they turned towards Michael, Aquino, who was a member of the 6th PSYOP Battalion, 
uh, it was in uh, number three corps, the third corps tactical zone in South Vietnam. Uh, they said, um, what can you do about this problem? Uh, we're losing all kinds of manpower and worse yet, we're losing expensive stereo equipment. Uh, and so he says, all right, I will channel uh, the anti-gods or rather the daemons of the infernal realms. And uh, so what he did was he channeled uh, the various entities who could help him in the uh, uh, addressing of this particular problem, this challenge. And uh, this included Beelzebub, uh, Asmodeus, uh, Lucifer himself, uh, the fallen at the highest levels of the infernal hierarchy, or the lowest, depending on how you look at it. And the product uh, was the Diabolicon. Uh, with the Diabolicon, he could channel uh, these entities to uh, scream uh, for him, for the military. And in Vietnam, I had footage that I was ordered to destroy from the Vietnam era that was direct physical evidence of this. There may be other copies of the footage that exist in other military libraries, but all the ones at the Presidio were destroyed. And uh, Did you see them? Yes, I had to review everything before I destroyed it. It was my job. When I was ultimately put in charge of documents destruction, uh, that was part of my responsibilities was to collate, verify, confirm uh, that I was destroying the right uh, materials. And okay. uh, therefore, I could see the enemy uh, being filmed uh, by remote cameras that were sometimes planted in the forest like you would do these days to observe wildlife. Yeah. And you could see the North Vietnamese army, entire units being knocked backwards. They would go flying through the air. They'd be knocked back at least 20 feet, probably more. Some of them uh, rebounded violently against the trees or the uh, our, our, our rocks or various other obstacles in the forests. And uh, when uh, this happened, it was while the screaming was ongoing, you could tell that there was a physical force behind it that literally not only knocked men off their feet, but lifted them off the ground like a hurricane and flung them far away. Uh, because of that, the communists declared the Diabolicon a military target. Uh, the few original copies that were left that were directly channeled by Aquino, they had bullet holes in them and they were burned because the fire base uh, had been attacked and literally set on fire. Uh, so these were burned, singed, bullet riddled copies uh, that Michael Aquino kept in a refrigerated safe. That was the reason the military made him write the chaplain's handbook. And because of that, the chaplain's handbook had specific instructions that all other religions, whether those of uh, Jewish rabbis, uh, Catholic priests, or uh, Protestant deacons or ministers, all were given direct orders uh, to uh, step back and stand down whenever a satanic priest arrived. The, uh, at that point, Satanism became unofficially the religion of all U.S. military branches of service. And that gave Mike Lacchino an incredible position no other officer had, something that would be held 
by no one else. Uh, say, for instance, uh, you're on the field of battle and at the strategic level, uh, you have a general who's a commanding officer in the middle of a battle or a series of battles, a campaign that's gone on for days and he hasn't slept. He's instead taken various chemical substances to force him to stay awake. Uh, at some point, a doctor may deem that his decisions are no longer rational and are a danger to the war effort. At that point, the doctor, who might be of a far lower rank, can still give the order, General, I command you to step down. I am putting you literally to sleep. And he can give him an injection that will knock him out. Uh, and he can write in his file to be judged at a later time whether this was the right thing to do. But most of the time, the doctor will be deemed as having the professional uh, forbearance to have his decision upheld as opposed to a general in denial. And uh, with Michael Aquino, he was so different because uh, every branch of service has its own doctors, except for the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps uses Navy doctors, but there are Air Force doctors, Army doctors. They wouldn't dare to interfere in another branch of services operations. But because satanic chaplains were still comparatively rare in terms of those that could actually work the right rituals and survive, uh, Michael Aquino was given access to all branches of service. He would appear at Air Force bases, Navy bases, Marine Corps bases, uh, Coast Guard bases. He had access to them all. No other military man in the military had that. He was alone in that level of importance. He was the most important man in the U.S. military. And in terms of how he changed your life and all of our lives, while Sandy Gallant was being held as a hero, he told me how badly he wanted to kill her. He said, uh, with all the serial killers I've created, uh, it would be so easy to take her out, but the problem is it would make her a martyr, and now it would verify everything she's done. And he said, we'll have to destroy the ability of the law enforcement to pursue us. So he set loose one of his dogs, uh, his chain dog by the name of Colonel James Channon, who was only a lieutenant colonel at the time, the same rank that Mike Lachino was at the time. Both of them retired as full bird colonels, as they call them. And, so hold, uh, hold on, hold, hold on one second. So while this is all happening, he yet has yet to realize that you are the one who gave her all of the information that he's now having to um, face. That's correct. Yes. He had quite a lot of faith in myself. He felt I was entirely taken by the darkness. I had attended parties with him, that's why, and so many activities we had shared together. He felt that I was corrupted. Uh, I say in all shame and disgrace that at the parties I took advantage of young ladies who were in chains, that at that time I was still stupid enough, still in denial enough, where I assumed that they were simply prostitutes of a young age who were desperate, who were being paid or compensated, but they were slaves. They weren't there voluntarily. They'd grown up like that. And uh, when I unleashed all the information that I did, it was as much in disgust with myself as with the entire world that tolerated and paid taxes to support this cult of maniacal men who seek the end of the world. And when it came to uh, Michael Aquino still believing that I was corrupted, I had privy to all his plans. There was very little I could do about them, uh, other than warn 
various people other than mm -hmm. deal with what damage I could in the best way I could, like with Mae Brussels. Uh, Mae Brussels was a woman who began to investigate Michael Aquino. She became famous for uh, uh, running what would be called these days a conspiracy network uh, in which she was trying to expose what was going on at the Presidio. Uh, the way that Michael Aquino took that into control was with his typical terrorism and blackmail. Uh, basically, he uh, made certain to uh, try and have her uh, killed. Uh, but um, before that, he thought it would be better simply to uh, kill her relations and that way force her into cooperating with them. So it was that her two daughters uh, both very young, but one of them old enough to drive with permission from a parent, uh, Barbara Brussel, uh, and um, her very young daughter, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, they were out driving, and then their car was uh, rammed by another car. And uh, at that time, I uh, believe uh, Mae Brussel herself was teaching at the Monterey Peninsula College. And uh, the Monterey is, of course, where the uh, Defense Language Institute is headquartered. Uh, they have their own presidio, which is now entirely off limits to the American public. But uh, Barbara Brussel was terribly injured. She was, uh, she, her legs were severely uh, deformed and injured. Uh, uh, she suffered a broken back, face injuries, broken nose and arm. Uh, I'm happy to say that she recovered and that uh, ultimately uh, was even able to dance again. But the younger daughter, whose uh, name was Bonnie, I believe, uh, she died and she was, uh, whereas Barbara might have been around 17, 18, the younger daughter was something like uh, eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And uh, the person who rammed into their car was a soldier in full military uniform. He was stationed at the Presidio military base. When the police stopped him, he just showed his military ID and said, I'm under orders. And they let him go. He was never investigated. No one knows who he is. But uh, as for Mae Brussel herself, she began to see her daughter as a ghost. Uh, her daughter kept appearing to her and telling her to kill herself so that she could join her in heaven. Michael Aquino explained to me, of course, how this worked. It's by a technology called Artilica. He said it was simply a hologram that they would broadcast into her home uh, using satellite technology. And Artilica. Artilica is based on taking uh, technology that no conventional engineering can explain because conventional engineering doesn't take into account quantum physics. The quantum, uh, which is very much a realm of science that blurs into magic, uh, is where someone will die in a plane accident or someone will die in a, a auto accident. And when the shock of that death takes place, a part of the soul, a part of the psyche, the essence of that individual becomes stuck in the uh, vehicle in which they died. This happens more so in uh, vehicles than in homes, because in a vehicle, the person is in transition. Their conscious is not uh, in place. Their conscious is in transition, and then they have no tether. 
They have no tether. So because of this, uh, the best example was Eastern Airlines. Eastern Airlines was uh, owned by Frank Borman, a relation of Martin Borman of the Third Reich. The Nazis were very much hated by the Satanists because the very symbol of Nazism, the Hakenkreuz, what Americans call the swastika, but in German, the Hakenkreuz means the hooked cross. This has been alienated from all Christians, just as the pentagram is. The pentagram pointed upwards with the fifth point towards the sky is a Christian symbol. It's what's called a Christogram. It represents the five wounds of Christ when he was crucified and is therefore a seal against the demons. So the pentagram was what Christians would proudly display and paint upon their doors to hold evil at bay. Mm -hmm. That pentagram has since been co-opted by the Satanists who will tell you this is purely satanic. And in this way, they prevent you from using it to protect yourself. The same with I the see. inverted well, cross. Done that so many, so many symbols throughout time. Yes. The, yes, the upside down cross is the cross of St. Peter. St. Peter felt he was unworthy to die as his Messiah did. So he asked the Roman Empire that when they crucified him to do so upside down and they honored his request. This is why there's an inverted cross on the throne of the Pope. And yet mm, uh, yeah, people Satan. are told this yeah. is Satanism. So mm -hmm. they never use the inverted cross, the, which looks like the sword of the Archangel Michael. This is why the inverted cross is painted on military vehicles of Christians and crusaders. And uh, when it came to this kind of inversion of symbolism, the theft of symbolism, the swastika is one of the greatest thefts of all. The Hockenkreuz or the Hooked Cross was the original Christian cross that was spotted by Emperor Constantine in the sky. When Constantine converted to Christianity, the cross he saw in the heavens was the Hockenkreuz that became the symbol of the Roman legions, the swastika. And it was then that he heard the voice of God say, under this sign, conquer. That is how the Christianized Roman Empire of Byzantium went on to last for another thousand years after the fall of Rome, because they conquered the Hockenkreuz. But then for this reason, the Satanists hate the Reich, hated all relations of the Reich, like Martin Bormann's relation, Frank Bormann, who was the CEO of Eastern Airlines. So when a bomb was placed on the plane that killed everyone aboard and it crashed in the Florida Everglades, it were Satanists who were members of the cult of the Temple of Set, engineers from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers who had converted to that cult, who had taken those elements of the plane from the wreck and cannibalized them into all other planes that were part of the fleet of Eastern Airlines. Uh, Mike Lacchino's cultists were everywhere. In 1983, Virginia County police were asked to make an inquiry into leaders of the Temple of Set, which was headquartered in San Francisco. And they came up with the fact that uh, uh, there were many members that were in Virginia, and uh, they wound up arresting no less than 13 officers, a coven. But of course, all the men were, were quickly released under orders of Michael Aquino. This all okay. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to interrupt you. I want to just go back to the Artilica. So this woman, they were they were projecting yes. holographic this images into it, her home. This is how it worked with Flight 401 that had crashed and those parts that were cannibalized into other planes. 
after that, all the staff, uh, stewardesses, pilots, uh, passengers, began to see the ghosts of the dead crew of Flight 401 on planes, telling them they were all going to die. And uh, it wasn't until I called Frank Borman, who was a former astronaut, and explained to him I knew about his military background and I knew he wasn't a Satanist, one of the few. And I told him what had been cannibalized. He gave the direct order for all those parts that had been cannibalized from Flight 401 to be removed from the planes. And after that, no one ever saw any of those ghosts again. Uh, by that time, of course, his business had been destroyed. Uh, in terms of May Brussels, this was similar. She kept parts of the car in which her daughter Bonnie died in her home. And it was after that that Michael Aquino was able to phase in on that to generate the hologram with the essence of her daughter telling her to kill herself. When I called her and told her she had to get rid of whatever parts of the car she was keeping in her home, only then could she be free from this delusion because this was not her daughter. This was Michael Aquino voicing the desire for her to kill herself. When I called her to tell her this, she told me she was just about to blow her brains out. She had the firearm in her hand and was just about to kill herself when she heard the phone ring and decided, oh, what the hell, and picked it up. And it was after that she went on living for a number of more years until she died of cancer. This was because Michael Aquino had parked, after the failure of getting her to kill herself, a van in front of her home, which stayed there at all hours, pumping microwaves at full blast into her home, that oh she contracted gosh. cancer that ultimately killed her. Oh An assassination gosh. that he bragged of. But at least I was able to keep her alive for a while longer. This was how I was able to perform my own form of damage control. Now, in terms of so many other... Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one sec. <laughs> I have a lot of questions for you right now. Um, so what you're talking about, this idea where she was hearing this voice, is there any relation to that voice of God technology that we hear about? Yes, very much so. Uh, you see, what I'm talking about, when I use the term artillica, is so people understand what I'm saying. If you have a fragment of some element to which an essence is bound, doesn't mean that you can call back the spirit without additional help. And in the case of Michael Aquino, he was using what we call the voice of God technology to project the voice of Bonnie into the ear, the inner eardrum of May Brussel. And uh, he was able to do this in such a fashion that she believed it was her daughter speaking to her. But uh, the uh, optical illusion was but a hologram. But none of that would have worked at all without the elements of the car in which her the daughter The car. Died. Okay. Now that brings me to my next question because I've done, a, I've done, a, I think we've talked about this on the podcast and I, I know it's been brought to my attention. Like for instance, let's just bring it down to a very innocent level of um, two people dating, they get into a fight, they break up. You're still holding on to say maybe their articles of clothing or gifts they've given to you. Maybe one person's really upset and really angry at the other person. And, you know, you know, the way our consciousness works and how powerful the mind is, you can project a lot of that energy onto someone without even realizing that's what you're doing. Like that may not be your exact intention, but those articles that we keep in our home or those, um, those material objects, it's so important to get rid of them. Yes. Um, that is to... Artilica. And okay. if they send you other elements, that is their way of reinserting 
their ability. That acts as a teleportation gate. You can't really teleport Star Trek style uh, as far as really reassembling somebody at the other end without a reception gate. What you need is that receiver. And when that person sends you something, that is a receiver. If you don't want to be open to that, then you don't accept that gift. You reject it, uh, throw it away, or give it to someone else. But whatever you keep from them is that receiver by which you're going to continue to get the psychic vibes. And uh, in the case with Artilica, at the level at which Michael Aquino was working, where you're using holograms combined with the voice of God technology, uh, none of that really impacts people because most people would say, oh, that's a hologram. Or people would say, there's, there's something that's going on in my ear, but it's not natural. I don't normally hear voices. I'm not schizophrenic. You have that Artilica then suddenly all of it registers in a person's brain as undeniable. And that's mm. why the cannibalized parts in those planes, the bit of that car in the home of May Brussels was so damnably effective. And it was real. This is how the dead are exploited by necromancers. So it is real. It is happening. It is real. But the dead people are not acting of their own accord. Is it then what they're doing is they're taking material objects involved in the trauma of the death? Yes, and they're tethering the dead. And then the essence can be called back and they're, they're not resting in peace. This is how the dead are violated. This is like rape in the afterlife. Okay, now this is very interesting because I never, I've never had this perspective before of seeing it from this perspective of, because, you know, we talk about like entities or people who've passed on but are, are tethered here. They're not moving on towards the light. We often think that, it's just of their own volition. They don't want to. They're, but there could be something controlling them trying to control you. Yes. This is why necromancy is so damned in the Bible. This is uh, the way that uh, uh, people uh, say, for instance, we won't go too far into this, but much of what I had to deal with through Michael Aquino and his expertise was Soviet psychic warfare. This is why the Americans tried to counteract it by setting up the various projects that dealt with uh, psychic warfare of their own, what today Americans know as remote viewing. Uh, the Soviets went much further. Now, of course, the Soviets were atheists, their communist atheistic state, and yet they had a perspective of the afterlife. Their perspective of the afterlife was one cleared of all theology, one cleared of all culture, and therefore they had a scientific perspective on the afterlife. Their perspective was that the dead are in the ground or wherever they be buried, but they're tethered to whatever physically remains. Uh, cremated ashes, the dead would be tethered to the urn. Uh, they're tethered normally to bodies buried in the ground. Uh, but uh, wherever they be, the dead are in a state of relative peace in any normal situation. And in any normal situation, that peace when disturbed by a necromancer, would be an exploitation of the dead, an interruption of that peace. And so one of the major objectives of the Soviet state was that the dead would know no peace, that even the dead would serve the state. And for that reason, Michael Aquino would get even the Christians of the West in the military-industrial complex to rationalize the exploitation of the dead because the communists were doing it. And therefore, 
they countered on their own. This was how he was able to get even the Christians to support him in his infernal acts. And in terms of even getting the law to support him, it was done by letting loose Colonel Channon. Now, James Channon was made a hero in that movie, The Men Who Stare at Goats. And in that film, The Men Who Stare at Goats, uh, they made him look like some jovial, likable person. They made the uh, general, uh, Stubblebine, look like this likable moron. Of course, I've interviewed General Stubblebine myself on my own program in the past, and he was very much a moron. Many generals are. Uh, You have people like Michael Aquino who simply uh, make certain that the stupidest people in the world get promoted to generalcy or the level or rank of a general, because that way they have complete idiots who just sign off on black budgets uh, and give uh, limitless sums of money to black projects that are controlled by men like Michael Aquino. So rank is not what counts in the military. The generals are the idiots. The generals are the stupidest people, the most incompetent people, the most manipulated people in the world. And anyone who doubts that, just listen to General Stubblebine when I was interviewing him. He couldn't even talk. He had a woman who was a psychiatrist, Dr. Rima Laibo, who put out a video after the Sandy Hook massacre in which she confessed she was the psychiatrist for Adam Lanza, the boy who committed the Sandy Hook massacre after killing his own mother. And uh, later on, that video was scrubbed from the YouTube, but she was the wife of General Stubblebine, and she was speaking for him to the point where he couldn't even talk. His psychiatrist's (laughs) wife, his handler, when I was interviewing her, uh, spoke on his behalf, and he was just babbling like an idiot. Well, he didn't really, because he didn't really say anything. Uh, The first time I asked him something, it was about uh, that idiot. um, uh, Well, we'll go on some other time with that. But in terms of the uh, uh, Tony Robbins, I asked about Tony Robbins, who had made like he charged the United States Army a billion dollars, a billion dollars. Tony Robbins charged the United States Army a billion dollars, saying he could teach the United States Army how to fire the standard sidearm, the uh, Colt 45 better. And uh, when I asked Doublebine about that, because he had signed off on it. Uh, he said, I can't answer that question. That was pretty much the only thing he said throughout that entire interview. After that, his psychiatrist, his wife, said everything. AKA Handler. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hold on a second here. So what I'd love to slowly transition into, um, because it's kind of a hot topic right now, um, how... I mean, we can close off with Michael Aquino unless, of course, I'm sure he's involved in this as well. But the tunnel system in the States um, where, uh, like, how did that start? What was the birthing of the tunnel system? And how prevalent is it across the nation? 
because right now we're hearing um, like there's rescue operations um, now. I mean, a lot of them, I'm, I'm sure we'd have no idea about what may be happening or may not be happening. But there's um, a lot of chatter uh, across the internet that there could be, um, this is where a lot of the children um, and humans, adults, are being held through human trafficking. What? How? Can you take us through the inception point of the tunnel system? Absolutely. And uh, the first thing to emphasize is that um, all you need to do is go down to the border uh, between uh, the United States and Mexico and uh, the overwhelming majority of heavy traffic that is extremely negative or dark goes on in tunnels. It's, it's through tunnel systems. And these tunnel systems are enormous. And they're, they're there. They're in the Philippines is another great example. I'm going to assume we have some time left or that will continue yeah. to show in two parts. So I'll yeah. go on with something that needs to be emphasized here um, and, and remind me, of course, to go back to how Channon prevented satanic crime from being on the books. And, and that's impacted all our lives because that's important. It's one of the reasons these tunnels are not pursued or, or, or more aggressively uh, uncovered. Uh, certainly when it comes to the tunnel system in the um, San Francisco Presidio military base, which is just so exemplary of this, I'll prepare you for it psychologically so you have an understanding about what these tunnels are like down south of the border where you had uh, active satanic cults like the Matamoros cult in uh, Mexico, uh, which uh, killed and sacrificed a, a young blonde uh, American Texan, uh, a young man who uh, was cannibalized by the Matamoros satanic cult in Mexico. They made use of those tunnels. And uh, so this is where human trafficking is expedited. Great example was in the Philippines to show people just how much money is wasted. The Philippines had an enormous military base at Subic Bay. And uh, the various military bases in the Philippines are all fairly large. But the one at Subic Bay and near the capital of Manila, uh, this was enormous. You're talking about something of such size with its own post exchange, its own commissary, uh, that it took up. Uh, it was a city into itself. And uh, it, as a matter of fact, there was an entire economy. You had entire shanty towns outside the military base of Filipinas female Filipinos who acted as prostitutes for the military uh, to the point where uh, whenever they got abused or beaten, uh, they, 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 they were so large in terms of numbers to service the soldiers that they were actually able to organize a lobby uh, so they could lobby the Filipino government for better treatment from the U.S. military. Uh, and, and so this is how much part of a, the economy, the base was, and more so than anybody realized uh, because what happened was the Filipinos who worked on base wanted to get some of this good stuff to their families, uh, the clothing, the, the, the food. Uh, the Philippines is a third world nation. People are starving to death. And so what happens was they built tunnels and they built tunnels leading directly from the commissaries, from the post exchanges uh, to other parts of the Philippines, or certainly into Manila, the capital, uh, well, the, the capital's Quezon City, which is basically a suburb of Manila. So they were able to get these supplies into the ghettos. Now, these tunnels leading from the military bases to the ghettos of the Philippines were big enough to drive 18 wheeler trucks through. 18 oh trucks. Oh, okay. 
by the time that the Americans discovered this was going on, and it took them decades, because remember, everybody working for them was Filipino. So all the Filipinos had a hand in this and a mutual interest in keeping it quiet. So the Americans didn't know about this for decades, but they kept wondering, oh, gee, how do we keep losing, uh, you know, warehouses, literally warehouses full of goods? By the time they discovered where these tunnels were, they said, "Okay, we've got to cement all these tunnels up. They said, oh, my God, you know, they couldn't just wall the tunnels because if they walled the tunnels, they knew the Filipinos would just use explosives and blow them and reopen the tunnels. So they said, we've got to cement the tunnels through. So they had to pour cement in through the majority of the tunnels to cover the entire tunnel so they could never be reopened. And so Uh, using all the cement. cement. (laughs) Yeah, that was enough cement they calculated that they used to fill those tunnels that could pave the streets of every major city in the United States. This was billions of dollars worth of cement went into that. Billions of dollars. You wonder why the military has spent so much money? It's crap like that. That's how big the tunnels are down from Mexico into the United States. Building a wall doesn't mean anything. And in the Presidio, the tunnel systems were started hundreds of years ago. The Presidio is a Spanish word, obviously, and it simply means the base, the military base. And the original Presidio was Presidio Real de San Francisco, the Royal Presidio of San Francisco, because it was under the King of Spain. And the original Presidio was established by the Conquistadores, and the officers' building in the Presidio military base was built in 1776. That means that the officers' base in San Francisco, the officers' building in San Francisco's Presidio, is as old as any building on the East Coast. And so you've got this ancient history to Presidio and the conquistadors enslaved the Olone tribe. And they forced the Olone tribesmen, O-H-L-O-N-E, they exterminated them by making them work to death as a tribe to dig tunnels for gold. Hence, that's why you had the gold rush in San Francisco. And they dug so much gold out of the Presidio, the tunnels extended for miles. And of course, within those tunnels, were thousands of dead bodies of Native Americans, their bones of women and children who were enslaved and forced to work until their death as well. When all the men died, they forced the women and children to work until they died. They're all in the tunnels. Then the American military took over and they cemented the tunnels. Then they lined them with lead to make them nuclear-proof. Atomic bomb approved them for the advent of nuclear war. They added control rooms, various other uh, developments, mechanisms. So the end result was the tunnels are extensive for miles beneath the Presidio military base. And uh, to cement them over would cost that same amount of money. But they did their best when they closed the Presidio military base. Uh, They're not cemented through like the ones in the Philippines. They're cemented down about 10, 12 feet. And then they're steel blasted over and sealed, and the, they're meant never to be opened again. But if someone ever tried someday to do so with a major archaeological excavation type of process, then I can guarantee you they'll find thousands of bodies, not just of the Native Americans, but of so many of the children who were exploited and sacrificed in those tunnels. 
And uh, that's one example. Another example is beneath McMartin Preschool. McMartin Preschool, of course, uh, was the site of an enormous scandal. Uh, it was on Manhattan Beach in Southern California, part of the greater Los Angeles district. And uh, when hundreds of children, hundreds began uh, exposing that they were satanically, ritually abused and sexually exploited, uh, the trial began that lasted seven years and cost 15 million United States dollars, the longest and most expensive criminal case in the history of the United States legal system. To that point in time, at least, that resulted in not a single conviction. And everyone was told, oh, the kids are all just imagining things. They're making things up. They're, they're just, uh, you know, seeking attention. And later on, it took a a courageous archaeologist, a man by the name of Edwin Gary Stickle, who used uh, GPR, ground-penetrating radar, to prove there were tunnels beneath McMartin Preschool, miles of them, leading in all directions. Of course, by that time, it was too late. Now, all of this, uh, along with the tunnels from Mexico into the United States, and oh, so many others, all of this was... Uh, shut down by the highest rank of people at West Point, for instance. Uh, there's, there's no way I can do justice to what happened there. The child daycare center was in building number 666. And it was there in the child daycare center that children, of course, began to expose the fact that they had been assaulted, uh, exploited, uh, forced to do uh, all of the same things that were reported everywhere else by so many other children in McMartin and at Presidio Daycare Center, where they were forced to eat urine, uh, drink urine and eat feces and uh, literally uh, force broken bottles into their various orifices and, of course, uh, commit sexual acts. Uh, in July of 1984 at West Point, uh, a three-year-old girl was brought into the emergency room with an extremely lacerated vagina because of being forced to stick a broken bottle into herself. By the end of the year, half a hundred children had been interviewed, though hundreds more had uh, complained. Uh, and of course, all of these children had talked about being smeared in feces and uh, being uh, sexually invaded by baseball bats in their anus or various other orifices. Uh, it finally yeah, I, I know. I know that there's been um, like I've seen like people are starting to come forward, um, survivors of satanic ritual abuse, and explain like what had happened to them, and um, you know, happens at such a very very young age. Um, in some cases, infants, uh, and it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's so beyond um, description. The normal, the normal human consciousness like it's so beyond what we can even comprehend mm -hmm. you know when you think evil acts you you don't go to that like it's and 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 that i know is still scratching the surface i don't want to get too too much into understood. the details understood let's just say but it's li literally it's, inconceivable yes but yeah it, it it is inconceivable and these are the the horrible things that are happening um um to well, children what it reached its apex in august of 1983 when a 22-month old child was murdered by an army staff sergeant, again, someone never to be identified, who simply got a court-martial hearing and was given an 18th-month 
18-month suspended sentence and a dishonorable discharge, at which point he just left and disappeared, uh, obviously into Aquino's cult, but protected by them within their network, never to be seen again or heard from again, his identity protected for his safety. That's the yeah, and that, that's the problem is that it's always protecting the perpetrator and never the victims. That's quite true. And what happened with all of those victims at the uh, daycare center at West Point, building number 666, the hundreds of them, they sent in a brilliant young attorney to investigate the case as a prosecutor. And this man said, oh, it's all just, you know, they want attention. They, they, they enjoy this. This is their own form of gratification. The man who said that, Rudy Giuliani. This is something anyone can prove themselves. None of this is slander. That's in his professional record. Rudy Giuliani interviewed all those children and said, they're just getting gratification. They're making it up. And thanks to men like him, the testimony of children is no longer allowed in court. And thanks to another man named James Channing, who was played by George Clooney, the sex bomb, in The Men Who Stare at Goats. So James Channon prevented satanic practices from being um, investigated. Investigated. So the way he did this was he went over to the FBI in full uniform. He was allowed to appear in full uniform. He wasn't scandalized like Michael Aquino. So as a matter of fact, Ron Johnson, his propagandist turned him in, or his publicist turned him into a hero and a, a sex bomb on the silver screen. So you have this individual who went all over to the San Francisco Police Department, the LAPD, all the big city local constabularies, went to the national police agencies, the law enforcement agencies, U.S. Marshals, FBI, etc., and told all of them the same presentation crap. He said, you know, if uh, a Roman Catholic uh, person, you know, many Roman Catholics are impoverished, uh, you know, many of them live in the United States and you know, you know uh, say one of them is desperate enough where he robs a bank and drops a uh, saint's medallion uh, or a Roman Catholic uh, religious medal. Uh, does that implicate the Catholic Church if you find that on site, the crime scene? Of course, everyone said, no, no, of course not. That's absurd. And so he said, therefore, whenever you find a satanic regalia uh, or any reliquary on site, a crime scene, uh, that cannot implicate the Church of Satan or any satanic churches. That would be unjust. That would be taking an entire people and subjecting them to religious persecution. And therefore, you've got to drop all investigation into occult crime. And all the constabulary says, well, that makes our work easier. Uh, that the way we don't have to dedicate entire task forces because the crime was so common. Satanic crime is so common. Thousands of people disappear every year. Tens of thousands disappear every year. And the overwhelming majority of it is found to be satanic. None of it's investigated. Now you know why. Every wow. time they find a body, headless, eviscerated, its intestines removed and smeared all over the walls, and it's in the middle of a pentagram drawn in blood. What the police do is they erase all evidence. 
they become partners in crime. Because to implicate the satanic church by dint of the fact that all signs of their participation was left on site the crime scene is religious persecution. Therefore, they're required by law to destroy all evidence implicating the satanic church. So, my question is, how do we as a society heal from all of this? Like, how do we, like, where's the hope? You know what I'm saying? Like, we know, you know, for those of us who are looking into this and trying to understand where all of this evolved, where it's been, where it's going, how do we stop it? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you that you believe are important for society to recognize and perhaps um, do? There are solutions. And uh, the solutions can only be implemented when we first confront how they're forcing us not to see the truth, how they're taking us away from the truth of what is. If you take a look at the truth of what is, go back to that Geraldo Rivera or that Oprah Winfrey interview. The Oprah Winfrey one is easily accessible. Anyone can find it on YouTube. And when you take a look at this young man who says, I murdered in the name of Michael Aquino, I killed someone. And Oprah Winfrey is having him confront Michael Aquino, and he can't confront the man who programmed him. You take a look at the camera, it goes back to Michael Aquino, and you can see Michael Aquino looking at the young man and moving his lips. Where, when Oprah is asking the young man, do you remember where you were when you killed this person that Michael Aquino gave you orders to do this? And then you see Michael Aquino, the camera focuses on him, and Michael Aquino says, he doesn't remember. You can even actually hear him. And then the young man repeats, I don't remember. And here you have it on national television, Michael Aquino giving this victim instructions. And Oprah Winfrey doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. She may not have noticed, but everyone else did. So how she didn't hear about it later and confront her lack of action is beyond any excuse. Then you go from beyond that to the entire aspect of, well, you see, all these people have fabricated memories. None of this is real. All you need to do is investigate the kind of people who are behind it. Who are the people that are saying none of this is real, that all of this is fabrication? You have this entire organization that is dedicated to false memory syndrome. And when you take a look at the people who are responsible for the uh, false memory syndrome, they all work in the military. Uh, these are people who are part of the problem that are telling you none of this is real. These are all the psychological warfare experts themselves. So when it comes to what we're confronting, we got to realize that it's not false memory syndrome, that this is all real. Uh, you have to confront that. I mean, if anybody says, oh, Douglas, how can you say this? Well, take a look at the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. The False Memory Syndrome Foundation was founded by Peter J. Freed. 
His surname is spelled F-R-E-Y-D. He founded the False Memory Syndrome Foundation after he was accused of sexual abuse by his daughter. And then you have David Dinges, a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, who's a member of Naval Intelligence and the U.S. Navy officer. Harold Leaf, surname spelled L-E-I-F, involved with CIA mind control experiments. Paul McHugh, a very vocal critic of dissociative identity disorder, worked at military hospitals. Martin T. Orne, surname O-R-N-E. He was funded by MKUltra Harvard Crimson Project. Uh, Ralph Underwager, his name spelled like underwear, except you replace the wear with wager, claimed it was God's will when adults engage in sex with children. These are the more respected members of the FMSF. All of these people are the people who created the very term satanic panic to dismiss everything that happened in the 1980s with the McMartin preschool scandal, with everything I exposed at the Presidio, even though the base had to ultimately be shut down. The people who said the Lincoln, Nebraska scandal was all a, a myth. All okay, the, so. So these are the people who are trying to control you. Understand that when you're being misled to identifying villains by the media today. All of the media is part of the problem. The solution is to recognize that you cannot listen to the overwhelming majority of alternative media. Focus on people like Nicole Froelich, who is interviewing myself. But then when you take a look at the rest of quote-unquote alternative media, things have radically changed in your world. And the overwhelming majority of alternative media, especially these days, they're working through the rightist ideological orientation. That is the Satanists. That is the pedo-patho-phallocracy. This is why I reference these people as essentially being part of a much wider network. It's not just the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower, when he originally wrote that speech, he used the term military-industrial-congressional complex because it was Congress who voted that the military get the lion's share of the U.S. budget every year. The truth is, the acronym is the U.S. MIMONANISIC-COM, or the United States Military Intelligence Medical Occult Entertainment Narcotics Academic Nuclear Information Sciences Industrial Congressional Complex. That's the junta comprising our actual government. And it was established in 1876, but we can do away with it. The biggest problem at that time that brought it about was the fact that the Civil War was the world's first industrial war and the world's first railroad war. Every major battle in the Civil War took place within 10 miles of track because rails had to bring all the supplies to the front. And after that, the rail barons became enormously wealthy. 
when the first election was held after Lincoln was killed, because, of course, the president after that was a successor just by dint of the fact that Lincoln was assassinated. Then what happened was uh, Samuel Tilden ran against, uh, he was a Democrat, ran against the Republican, Rutherford Hayes. Now, the Republican was representative of the Union. At that time, the Democrats were representative of the Solid South. They were known as the Dixiecrats. They were essentially Klan, Ku Klux Klan. And he won. He won by both the popular and the electoral vote. This Klansman, this Southerner. And so the Union said, we can't just win a civil war and then have the Dixiecrats win the election. And so they stole the election. Now, none of this is insinuated. This is historically indisputable. Any historian will tell you this. So when you look that up, they've made the Union General, Rutherford B. Hayes, a guerrilla in a suit, their man, and they made him president. At that point, a pirate flag was run up both the run up and over both the United and Confederal States. The South was about to rise again, and they marched on Washington, and General Hayes stopped it, not with the military. But by promising the South, okay, occupation is over, reconstruction is over, you've got control over your blacks, and the blacks essentially went into effective slavery through Jim Crow laws for the next hundred years. At that point, the military-industrial complex was born. And at that point, they said, how do we prevent this from ever happening again? And Rutherford Hayes says, I got the answer. Now, of course, the industrialists had taken over because they wanted the rails to expand west, but the west was just territory. The Indians lived there. The only way they could expand west was to control the Confederacy. And so they hired all these Confederate war veterans to become the frontier army, the boys in blue, and they expanded the genocide of the Indians so the rails could follow behind them. And that's how you got Union Pacific, representing the Union and stretching all the way to the Pacific. That was the original rail barons rush towards Indian genocide of the Plains tribes that still held the majority of American territory. Now, it's from that legacy of genocide and and abuse that you had Rutherford Hayes saying, well, how do we prevent this kind of political thing getting out of our hands? Well, we put all the politicians under control by starting a super soldier program. Now, super soldiers aren't Captain America. They aren't bulked up footballers. They're male prostitutes, what they used to call queer whores, young boys who have sex with male politicians. That way, if the male politician's ever caught, it would destroy him. They're held in blackmail because if they ever go against their orders, then the young boy is programmed under orders to kill them. They prefer them to have sex with young boys because of the scandal and because Girls don't have the upper body arm strength to choke a man to death. A young boy does, especially an older man. And it's through this they kept generations of politicians in blackmail to the junta. The way you can destroy this is first, stop glamorizing your military. You've got to learn to understand they are your enemy. Don't think that this is something to do with some kind of personal vendetta on my part. I was dishonorably discharged, and I'm proud of it. I was dishonorably discharged because of what happened at Al-Jabail. And just in brief, the 
House of Saud, where we all disembarked at Al Jubail to protect the House of Saud from Iraqi invasion back in the days of the original Gulf War for America, Operation Desert Storm, what was then Operation Desert Shield. The Saudi government was determined to prevent women from getting an education. And so the Mutawain, the Saudi religious police, they walked around with whips so that they could flog any woman who was caught wearing lipstick. Like all law enforcement officers in that part of the world, they carried machine guns. They would say- So, so what you're saying is, because um, I have to wrap up, but sure. what you're saying is to one of the ways, I, I believe what you're, where you're going with this, is that it's important to reinstate the draft? Yes. It's important to reinstate more than one kind of draft because we have to empower women. The other important thing to do is get as many female politicians as possible in power. This is where people are so misled. There's two things I have to go into here in as much detail I can in what time we have. One is you take a look at how hated someone like Hillary Clinton is. Now, believe me, I have no reason to love Hillary Clinton. She personally impacted my life. Her husband was responsible for, by the way, we just had a funny sound as if we dropped off. I hope you're still recording. I'm, yep, I'm still here. Good. Had a sound effect there that indicated something dropped, something coming through my Skype, I suppose. At any rate, what happened was that, uh, without going into any detail uh, too much, but Bill Clinton was asking all prisoners in his state to donate blood. It's one of the reasons the blood market crashed, and I wound up you know, being experimented on at Letterman Army Medical Center when I was still subject to uh, being under their jurisdiction as a military dependent. Uh, it's for very personal reasons I was impacted by the Clinton dynasty. I have no reason to love them. But the one thing that you can notice is that when Hillary Clinton uh, released her book uh, about uh, basically uh, her running for election, uh, then you had all of these trolls who showed up and this was highly coordinated. And of course, this was something that had all the earmarks of an Aquino operation. So when you see all of these people get on the internet and when you see all of them coordinated, you've got to ask yourself what's behind it. And most of the time, the attacks are against female politicians. Hillary Clinton stands out the most, but no matter who it is as a female politician, they are attacked relentlessly. We need more and more female politicians because historically, no female politician has ever been blackmailed. This is why they hate them so much. They don't have sex with young boys. And no matter what they try to portray them as, the female politicians are heartless. They're often cruel. They often lack empathy. That's because they have to be to get where they get. They can't. But get okay, hold. I got to stop you there because, from what I understand, is that you know the they're predators just the same, just like Hillary Clinton. That whether it was with boys or not, it could have been with girls. This is the case in some cases where you have women who are predators with female politicians. Historically, it's never been the case. For one thing, females are incredibly on the lookout. They know that the moment they trip up, their career is over. They can't afford to trip up. Men, on the other hand, can trip up all they want, and they'll never be prosecuted. It's well, only recently we've had that kind of hashtag movement. 
Historically, it just hasn't been the case with female politicians. I can go into that more in detail in another program. But one thing we want to get back to is the military so that people understand how the predators are so prevalent when it came to the movie Black Hawk Down. And they showed the Scottish heartthrob, uh, Danny Grimes, or he portrayed a character called Danny Grimes based on the real individual, Sergeant John Stebbins, who was the hero of Black Hawk Down. That same man is serving the rest of his life in Leavenworth for raping young children, abducting them, taking them into his home, chaining them to the wall in his basement, raping them every night. It was only because his wife got tired of the scream she couldn't sleep at night that she reported it to the authorities. Now he's spending his life in Leavenworth in the brig. But the point is, it's a military prison, and he committed all his crimes when he was retired. How is it that the hero of Black Hawk Down, when he's retired as a civilian, is not in a civilian prison with all the other baby rapists? Because he was under military control. That's the only legal explanation. I was a Department of Defense Research Librarian, I can tell you this with legal conviction. In other words, this is fact that is on the books. If Stebbins, who was retired from the military, committed all those crimes, he should have gone to a civilian prison, but he was found guilty and sentenced to a military prison because the military had to basically claim him as their own, saying he's under military control. Otherwise, he would never okay. be in the military brig. Same with all these other killers when it came to people like uh, the uh, individual. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Cause I, I, we do need to wrap up. So, and I know that you've got tons of information to share, yeah. but I want to leave this on a positive note for the listeners. Constructive and solution. Yes. So yeah. And so do- for someone, someone who's just like an average day person, you know, like what are some of the things that we can do to, you know, bring this more into the open? The first thing we've got to do is recognize your so-called professional military is full of men like Joseph James D'Angelo, the guy who's about 73, four years old now and was identified as a serial rapist. And uh, he was a product of this kind of system and so many others. And once you realize that, you've got to get rid of the professional military. All of this was able to thrive because of the cessation of the draft. Once they ended the draft, then your common man was no longer in the military. And because the common man was no longer in the military, the military developed all the mystique of a religious cult. They're a church to the American public. The public thinks of them as saints, like their version of a priesthood. The public looks to them for authority. The public looks to them for solutions. You've got to stop that until we make them your neighbors, until we make them your father, your uncle, your brother, your cousin. The way to do that is to eliminate the professional military. The professional military is anything but professional. I can go into the history of that. But the one thing that you need to do is reinstate the draft, get the common man serving and woman. But we have to remember there is a big difference between men and women. We've got to get occult laws back on the book. We've got to get occult crimes investigated. We've got to understand that there is a difference between infernal crimes and crimes involving people who are members of recognized churches like Judaism or the Catholic Church or some Christian organization. Anything that is deemed satanic must be given the benefit of the negative doubt, guilty till proven innocent. And if that opens you up for what's considered a persecution of Satanism, 
that's the price that needs to be paid. One way to prevent it from turning into a persecution would be to establish a draft specifically for young ladies. All young ladies from the age of 16, just like we used to have the draft for boys, should be drafted unless proven through religious conscientious objection or ill health or otherwise. They should be drafted into a United States police force. They should be given several months of police training and placed in a National Guard type of police force in America's major cities. Now, one woman can't take down a big, violent man, but a squad of women can. And if trained to operate as teams, maniples of five ladies each, these young girls can do much to put an end to thousands of literally tens of thousands of people disappearing every year. We need a United States police force that is predominantly majority female. This will empower females as much as female politicians. Any girl who's a product of that social education would be a far more trustworthy politician than the kind who have to claw their way to the top today. Then you have to have young men serve in the military unless they're able to find some excuse that's legitimate they need to serve as our national defense, and they need to serve together to learn teamwork and social responsibility. For those who refuse to serve in either service, we need to have a third draft for civil service. In this time of coronavirus, this is the time to start it. You've got a coronavirus that kills the elderly, the weak, those with health compromises, comorbidities, factors like diabetes or any other kind of health issue that makes them more vulnerable, they're dying by the tens of thousands. Young people are generally immune. So the young people, even if they catch it, simply go on. So for that reason, there needs to be a draft of civil service. These would be for those who don't want to serve in the military or the police force. And that okay. third draft would be civil in terms of public aid, public assistance, okay. food delivery. So this would be a way of creating a new generation that's consciously aware and it's our way of helping our future eliminate what's been destroying our lives for decades. So I just want to say, uh, I very much appreciate all of your information. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and a lot of what you said has been very interesting. But I do want to say, because I, I do disagree with you on some of that. And uh, it doesn't mean that I don't value your information. or I don't value you coming on the show and speaking it. But um I don't believe that we should be making the police force more female than male. And I think this is one of the the things that for me personally is that I think, you know, the this idea of separating men and women and saying one is needed more than the other is part of the problem of us keep being the humanity and the consciousness of being keeping us in separation. And that I think that there are certain things that women are naturally more are better at and there are things that men are naturally better at and to me um one of the things that i can see in in the world and i don't want to get too much into it because we do need to to close out the show but that i know that women physically in general are a lot weaker right than than men um generally speaking it doesn't mean that a woman can't take down a man but just from a general perspective and i know that that's one of the things that um, like one of the, um, the, what, where am I going with this? Like, what am I, how am I trying to say this? Like one of the agendas, I guess you could say is to demasculate or emasculate the male population and, um, uh, th 
basically make men act like women and women act like men. And that's something I'm totally against. Um, but we can, we can go into that some other time. Of course. Yeah, some but other I time. But I, I feel what you say yeah. is valid. Uh, the differences are definitely there. Uh, the um, entire problem with uh, so much of uh, the male uh, dominance of the police forces is that the overwhelming majority of our blue collar mafias, the uh, police, the fire department, the emergency responders, they're usually military service veterans. That is part of the problem, is that we have these men who are part of this military cult. If anyone needs to see any result of the legacy of satanic chaplaincy, just look at a documentary entitled The Dark Side of Aldura, and uh, Aldura spelled A-L uh, space D-O-U-R-A, and in The Dark Side of Aldura, you'll see a U.S. Army Ranger who was totally unprepared, lacked the context of narrative to understand or comprehend what he was seeing. And uh, he photographed evidence of war crimes that were satanic, literally satanic. And uh, there's photographic evidence in that documentary. And in terms of uh, these men who were not like him, had no conscience, he ultimately died for what he exposed. Uh, these men are the men who come home and become policemen. They become firemen. They become emergency medical technicians. Sure, but that doesn't mean that every policeman or fireman is bad just because they're a man and they're in the in that police force. Like I think that with anything, there's. I mean, I personally know really great people within the force, and and this is just the problem is that especially with humanity, we're going to have bad apples everywhere, and it's just a matter of we just need to clean up the system. I think the system really needs to be cleaned up. Um, Doug, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you want to let our audience know if they want to catch you? And I know you've got your own show. Did you want to talk about it here? Like, um, let people know where they can find you. Yes. Look up critical omissions and it's important to, uh, just find critical omissions on YouTube or look up Douglas Dietrich on YouTube. Uh, I've provided a link on my latest, uh, episode. So hopefully, um, our lady Nicole will make that available so people can get that as a starting point. Uh, understand, of course, uh, my father was a career military man and he was basically an angel. Uh, there are good men in the military, just like there are innocent men in prison. <laughs> but yeah. the important point yeah. is that because these men have dominated so much of our services that we look on as authority, this is why it's so important to get females in those services and in large numbers so they don't just become people who emulate the men around them to become one of the boys that's exactly. my logic okay and, i see where you're going yes yeah well i appreciate you coming on the show doug i learned i learned some new things today which was really cool and i really appreciate that oh the honor is mine and the pleasure uh, i hope we can speak again both in front of uh, your listeners and um i'll be happy to return um and definitely uh uh, you really are bold and daring to do this. And, uh, and, and, and of course, I'm glad we disagree. It's the starting point for further discourse. Absolutely. I, and, I'm not, and I think, you know, that's how the show started is that we had, well, when I had my other co-hosts on the show, we all didn't see everything the same way and we could have discussions. And sometimes they got a little heated, but I think it's important to have um, these kinds of dialogues. And it doesn't mean you have to believe everything I'm saying or any someone, you know, Doug or any of my other guests, you don't have to believe everything. You've got to, I think the most important thing is just take the, take what information resonates with you, discard what doesn't and use your own personal internal guidance compass and, um, you know, and, and 
use that to find your own truth and and get to the truth. And I think that's the most important thing because that's how you maintain your own personal sovereignty. So thanks, Doug, for being on the show. Thank you to our audience for being here again this week. I love you guys so much. Thank you for all of your support. I'm going to leave the links for Douglas down in the description of the show notes. And take care of yourself. Be safe. And I love you all. Bye. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If any of you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests that you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us or send us a voice message using the Anchor app. There's a super cool feature on there that allows you to send us a message or ask us a question with a touch of a button right from the app. And please continue to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you haven't checked out Nicole's channel on YouTube yet, head on over there for some more insight from her, or you can visit her website, inflexibleme.com, where you can book a personal coaching session or a tarot reading, watch some of her most informative videos, or you can sign up for her newsletter. And if you're interested in some light language healing, head to my YouTube channel, lisaloveslove.com, or send me an email to lisa at lisaloveslove.com to inquire about your own personal reading. Thank you again for joining us and supporting us, and we'll be back with you all next week.